Hello students and welcome to Class of X, the free internet course on how to read and enjoy the X-Men comics better. I'm your teacher and host, John Reisinger, and today I'm joined by voice actress, podcast host, model, and content creator, Miss Barbara Dunkelman. And today we're talking about Greg Horn's 2003 solo title, Emma Frost, specifically issues one through six. Hello, Barbara. You should have seen my face when you called me all those wonderful things. <laughs> uh, it was like the shocked Pikachu meme. <laughs> oh, like, man. Oh. <laughs> wow. Honored. Honored to be here. You are all those things. You're, you're a, a, a jack of many trades and a master of many of them as well. Oh, thank you. Um, you're too kind. You're too generous. <laughs> well, you're being too generous by agreeing to be on my silly little X-Men podcast. Um, but I'm... I'm pretty confident, uh, not just because you already told me that you read it and enjoyed it, but I'm pretty confident I kind of nailed the the uh, story for us to go over with you. And it wasn't because I was like, well, what, you know, Barbara is a talented, um, blonde, uh, uh, you know, mover and shaker in the female, <laughs> you know, uh, in, in the male-led, uh, uh, you know, in media world trying to make it as a female creator and and succeeding exceptionally. Um, can I get someone else like that? It's more so I feel like this story about Emma and her origin is actually your vibe of your kind of story you like to read. It's got drama. It's got uh, family issues. It's got rebellion. It's <laughs> a little, got bit, a little of bit of romance. Like, yeah, a little bit of romance. And it's got a little bit of that supernatural stuff with the powers and all that kind of stuff. Um, how, how, how well did I did I nail it? You absolutely nailed it. Um, as somebody who grew up watching like Gossip Girl and the OC. Uh, oh, yeah. This totally has that vibe. I feel like this is right up my alley. Rich people calling their parents daddy. Yeah, that's up, <laughs> that's up my alley. <laughs> that's fantastic. It is said a lot in this one. Yeah. Well, um, before we get into talking about Emma Frost and the Emma Frost comic, I want to hear about you, Barbara. Do you have, what is your history with comics in general? And more specifically, where did you ever jump into the X-Men in any way whatsoever? Where did you learn about them? But just give us a little bit of a rundown of your, sure. your history in this medium. I don't really have any history with comics. Um, there's like some graphic novels I read, like I read all of Scott Pilgrim back in the day oh yeah um, and like some other graphic novels here and there that i i don't think i could name off the top of my head um but in terms of like actual comic books uh i have pretty much no experience other than like maybe flipping through a couple pages here and there if i happen to see one on a table um gotcha. but if, as long as a character you play is in that comic <laughs> maybe a little bit biased there because uh, by the way you have been in comics i've read comics <laughs> as i was seven you've been in comics so. well not me character that i play yeah in but your character yeah that's very true which by the way i haven't really read most of those either so <laughs> i'm not doing a great job by the way what we're referencing is barbara uh, voices the character yang for the hit anime animated series uh ruby and uh there has been some crossover work with the ruby franchise and dc comics in mm -hmm. the form of initially a comics crossover series of ruby and was it specifically justice league or was it uh in the comics or was it batman uh, it was Justice League. It was Justice and, League, and Batman was there as well. Batman was there, the but it was stuff. it was Justice League, and then now has been turned into feature film. Yes, um, it's actually a two part film. The first part is already out, available uh, home video and all that good stuff, and then part two TBD 
Um, yeah. Don't, don't Ruby, have details on that yet, but yeah. Ruby and the Justice League. So yeah. Um, so you you uh, to get back to what you were saying, you read some uh, some independent graphic mm-hmm, novels, which is mm-hmm. so super fun, but have no experience really uh, keeping up with any of the uh, the main two uh, comic distributors like DC or Marvel, anything like that, on a regular basis. Where where did you ever like? Where was your first interaction with the X Men? The first ever interaction with the X Men, I believe, was the first ever X Men live action movie. Okay, um, which X Men One, directed by Brian Singer, and all that. Yes, I definitely knew that. And so, um, <laughs> but starring James Marsden, Hugh Jackman, yes. Halle Berry, Famke Jensen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and I loved it. And I, I've seen, I think, the majority of the different X Men movies that have yeah. come out over the few years. Um, so I like have a pretty good understanding of the main characters of X Men. Yeah. Um, I also watched. The animated series growing up from time to time. They had that in Canada? Yeah. Actually, we, we I get think some it stuff. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so the, the it was on Fox here in America. I don't know who distributed it in Canada. Probably Fox. Okay, yeah, Fox Kids. Um, so you watched that show. So yeah, that would even predate the and the, the feature films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I remember liking Rogue and Storm. As you should, as everyone as should. As should, yeah. Everyone should adore those two characters. I love them. Um, I joke all the time that uh, my uh, Cajun girlfriend is Gambit and I'm her rogue. Um, <laughs> not that I come from the South, but I live in the South, so we'll just go with that. Um, but okay, so I love that. So then my question following up on that is, did you know, what did you know of Emma Frost before reading a single page of this comic? I knew nothing actually about Emma Frost other yeah. than what you have told me in the past, which was like a, bar- a very brief description of her because you were trying to compare um, a bunch of us who you work with uh, to different characters in the X-Men did, universe. Did I compare you to Emma? I think you did. Oh, okay. I think you I did. Mean, it, it tracks. It tracks all those things I was saying. Yeah. You, you, know. you, you said something about how like cares about her looks but is also like a lot deeper on these things and these levels and at first i remember thinking oh excuse me i only care a little bit about my looks (laughs) you definitely a hundred percent barbara you do not care about your looks as much as emma and have not uh invested as much in cosmetic surgery as emma has done um in order to uh achieve your looks um as you can tell from uh now reading a little bit of emma's origins um, while on the cover of these uh, these comics, they definitely have the <laughs> the modern pinup version of Emma and all of her plastic glory. Um, but yeah. in these comics, which are her origin story, she is a scrawny little uh, brunette teenager, awkward. Um, do you know anything about being a scrawny little awkward teenager? Do you, do mm, you... I'm still going through that phase, <laughs> just not teenage age, uh, <laughs> but scrawny you're, and awkward. You're a, you're you're just a scrawny awkward teenager in her like early 30s. That's what you are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's funny that you mentioned that because like I I was when I was reading through these issues and I would see the cover, um, I was like, that's Emma, right? Or is that supposed to be? adrian her sister yeah who does look like that who is blonder who does have a bigger chest and like all this stuff yeah and then i figured oh maybe it's her in the future well i'll give you a little bit of a rundown on emma before we get into talking about her wonderful origin story that they finally told in 2003 um but i wanted to talk about like why why i picked this why i picked this for you and and 
while I've already gone over a little bit that, you know, I had a hunch that you would enjoy this story. Um, it also is uh, for selfish reasons why I chose this because um, I adore Emma Frost. She is one of my favorite characters. She got, she originated as a villain for the X-Men, like a, mm. just a downright villain. Um, she's actually, the, she's actually based off of somebody that you actually would recognize an actress named Diana Rigg who uh if she was a uh, her character in a british television show called the avengers was called emma peel and so her name is derived from that but you know diana rigg from game of thrones um Do she I? yes she is the oh what's her name she's the the one who was the the one who i i killed uh, Joffrey, tell tell Cersei I killed Joffrey. Oh, I, I, uh, the older woman. The older woman. That's her. That's the actress, oh. Diana Rigg. Um, and uh, she played Emma uh, in this uh, you know British television series that got uh, at one point turned into a, a, a live action feature film starring um, Sean Connery uh, uh, among a few other people. I think Ray Fiennes was one of it. Anyways. Um, and there's actually a specific episode in that series where she's infiltrating a uh, underground uh, secret uh, rich society call and, and and dresses up in these kind of uh, corsets and, and outfits like that, which is what wow. Emma conventionally dresses in. Um, and so, yeah, Emma Frost is a little bit based off of Diana Rick's character from the Avengers. But she was introduced as a member of this group called the Hellfire Club. And no. We're not talking about Stranger Things. Ah, that's a, that's um, another podcast. <laughs> that's another one. Um, but the Hellfire Club was based off is like was this like secret, you know, controlling Illuminati esque rich people society, and Emma Frost was part of it. They had a naming convention that was based around like uh, chess pieces. So they had like, you know, uh, Black Bishop and uh, White King and um, stuff like that. And Emma Frost was the White Queen, um, mm. which is why she sometimes referred to that as the white queen um and which is so, another one of my nicknames actually so it's uh, we call that yeah we <laughs> say that behind your back all the time um but so emma was a villain for a very long time was a was was kind of like fought against the x-men she even ran like you know the x-men are part of a school led by professor xavier she ran like a rival school and had her own group of like little young mutant uh teenagers called the hellions um and she would pit them against xavier students all the time um she eventually she was she's such a beloved character and and genuinely i have to believe that a big carrying crew that was carrying the banner of emma frost was the queer community which Mm -hmm. is why it's also prudent we talk about her because it's pride um absolutely and i think you can tell from like uh checking out emma and and getting her vibe in her modern uh version is that she's a total queer icon and we love her she's a um, she's a boss and, and we love a diva. Um, she, her, her history involved her being a villain, but then she eventually actually came over to the side of the angels and at her heart, as you read in these first issues that she wants to be a teacher. She likes the idea of facilitating the next generation of our society. Um, and as she became more and more connected with her mutantdom, she was very much interested in like heralding the next generation of mutants. And so she actually eventually teamed up with Xavier and co was a co-headmistress for um, another academy called the Massachusetts Academy that had their own group of, of mutants that were Xavier teams oh. called Generation X. And I've heard of that. that. 
Yeah, that team had um, a bunch of people that you probably wouldn't recognize, but namely it had Jubilee on the team. And you probably recognize Jubilee from the cartoon. I do, yes, yes. And so, familiar one to me. Long story short, she went and taught there. Once that school closed for reasons we don't need to get into, she went and moved to this mutant island nation called Genosha, and she was teaching uh, psychic classes there. That went south. Again, we don't need to get into it. And so that was then she eventually got written into in around 2001. She finally was written into like full-fledged X-Men member, um, part of the team, uh, costume and everything, and has since then been like a leadership, played a leadership role in the X-Men comics since 2001. So that's why it made sense that um, after she had been for so many years, uh, you know, since uh, I think 1980, I think 1980 was her premiere in the X-Men comics, um, that finally in 2003 with her f- getting so much uh, love av- when she was added to the X-Men team as a hero that they wanted to flesh out her origin story. And I love her origin story. I think it's such a fun piece of drama and it tells this great story of like how how would you get a little like timid wallflower who's the member of this rich privileged <laughs> family who who is like who has morals and ethics and is not a villainous um how not do you yet. get her not yet how do you get her to that point and that's what this story kind of tells and we only tackled like a small portion of it this this uh this mini series is while we read one last week that was a uh, short as well um, this one's a bit longer and actually I think spans about uh, 18 issues and we only read wow. the first six. It kind of splits it into three stories of six issues. Do do a lot of the villains in uh, like X-Men, their origin stories come from them being bullied or something of that nature? There's a fair amount. We talked about one last episode when I had Blizz on where we talked about um, the Juggernaut. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you, you've seen him in the movies in the cartoon. Um, and I know the memes, of course. Yeah, we talked about the memes. Um, and he's not been like fully portrayed. I guess he was also in Deadpool. I forgot about it. He's in Deadpool 2. Um, uh, he's actually Professor Xavier's uh, stepbrother in the comics. Really? Um, yeah. They've never connected that in the movies or anything like that. Um, but he's Xavier's stepbrother. They kind of had this like, you know, the, the, the duality of Xavier being the powerful psychic and Juggernaut being this like nothing but unstoppable physical force. Um, some and his origin, huh? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I said some might, some might call him a juggernaut. He is a juggernaut. Um, and his origin is that, yeah, his dad bullied him. His dad was mean to him. His dad always favored Xavier because they, they shared a father. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I, you know, I, I think even Sabretooth was bullied by his father was his origin story. Um, and so not everybody, but a fair amount, you know, so. You know, we, you know, people have daddy issues. People have mommy issues. Um, and Emma has definitely daddy issues. Oh, yes, she does. And rightfully so. Um, <laughs> I freaking hated her dad. And he's not a fan issues. of Winston. Not a huge fan of Winston and his um, homophobic. Um, uh, abusive. Abusive. Um, just like, just like everything is bad about this guy yeah. everything using his money for all types of power and control yep control um, being a good word for it yeah and just like his absolute disdain for all of his kids i'm like why would you ever have children you clearly didn't want them it 
I read this back in 2003 when it came out. In fact, I think I might have a couple of the physical issues still in my collection. Um, and But I haven't read it since. And reading it now, I don't think you watched the show, but um, this has major succession vibes. Um, yeah, I, that's what um, Trevor was saying, my boyfriend Trevor, who um, has watched all of succession. I'm only on season one, okay. but I could already so, see kind of the vibes. Yeah, going there. it's Logan Roy, um, you know, pitting his kids against each other to mm-hmm. see who's going to take over, but never fully like feeling like making anybody believe he actually wants them to take over or actually or loves likes them. his kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, manipulating yeah. them through his power and money, um, you know, being a, a bigot. You know, it's all it's all stuff that the that, that like succession I think took a little bit of like a, a page from this. Yeah. Um, definitely. So not knowing Emma how difficult was this to get into and understand? Um, on a scale of one to ten, it was zero difficulty to get into. So, um, so very easy. Very, very easy. I didn't know yeah. anything about Emma Frost. I again, as I mentioned before, don't read comic books. So, like, the only I think the only thing that was complicated about it is sometimes I wasn't sure what order I should read the panels in because sometimes they're a little like <laughs> skewed yeah, yeah, and. Yeah. But I got used to it. Like I got kind of like the flow of things. I'm like, okay, if this one's on the left, but it's like yeah. higher up and then you go here and like you'd figure <laughs> out at some point. I think there was one time I read something in the wrong order and I was like, wait, let me go back. And yeah. Do this. It's definitely something that has evolved in the comic industry where if you go back to the old, like if you go back to like Emma's like original comics, like in 1980s, they were very much more rigid with the panels. It was all rectangles, different sized rectangles. That was about it. Um, and they play a little bit more around with that kind of stuff with the graphic design abilities and modern, you know, uh, design. Um, and so, yeah, it can be a little bit of like, am I reading this in the right order? And it's a little bit of trial and error as you're going through, but I appreciate that you, uh, you muscled through it and found your way (laughs) to read it. It was very fun. And I, again, like it's such an easy story to comprehend. It doesn't overcomplicate things. You understand who you're following, what her story is, what she's about. Um, even like... if you didn't even know if it was like an X-Men comic, yeah. I think it would still be fun. That's such a good point. I, I agree because it, especially uh, once I finally got through to like to the sixth issue that we were reading, I was like, this is such a good example of how the X-Men work, even if it's not centered around big action set pieces and flashy uses of their power. Because in these first six issues, Emma has no control over her abilities, does not execute on them in any way like that she's conscious about in her in, in a real meaningful manner yet um and it and honestly they don't play a huge massive part in the drama um what does you know play a huge part is like this introduction of this very very twisted but colorful family that is the frosts mm-hmm. um and let's let's introduce all of them together as we we can kind of start talking through the the first issue and the stories that were going in there because the first issue is a big introduction to everything. And, um, we meet, we've already talked about father Winston who we don't like. Daddy. No, no daddy. Um, who Christian <laughs> refers to as Winston doesn't even call him father. Doesn't mm-hmm. call him dad, which I love. Yeah. It's a great power play. It's what he deserves. Um, we meet mother who's named Hazel Frost, mm-hmm. um, who is a very, uh, subservient, woman um willing to turn a blind eye to things in order to keep the norm to keep the uh the status quo 
Yeah, definitely wants to keep things as they are. Doesn't want to cause a lot of drama. Yeah. Um, like turn understand. a blind eye. Yeah, we'll turn a blind eye. I get that. We we meet uh, Emma's older sister, Adrian. Um, what do we think about Adrian? Um, don't like her. Um, <laughs> could <laughs> not could sending do her a Christmas that. card. Uh, but I think she is someone who wants her father's approval so badly. Yeah, think um, that she's willing to do pretty much anything for it, and like wants yeah. to be this perfect, um, beautiful, you know, uh, model, rich girl, everything like that, um, and just be like the the father's pet kind of thing. Yeah kind of like even um she does this a lot more in the second uh six issues but she thinks that she probably that she thinks she's 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 convinced herself that if she can play daddy's games then daddy will accept her um she's if she can also be daddy so to say. <laughs> <laughs> daddy 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 the daddy episode um yeah that if like if she can out connive uh, the conniver then he'll finally accept her and give her the uh, approval that she so desperately wants which it does seem that he does fall for that kind of thing like I think there's one, at one point I forget which issue it was in particular where he like gave kudos to uh, Emma for doing something kind of conniving yeah. and something kind of sneaky yeah um, it's like an issue five or six yeah. where he's like he, he kind of uh, admits that he thought that she was like just this vanilla wallflower but is impressed that she's you know been trying to play games and has seen through his uh lies exactly um, which he thinks that she sees through his lives because she's that much of a good liar but it's honestly because she's got psychic abilities right. <laughs> we also meet her older brother christian frost um great a character. sad story very sad um and very tragic, and another reason why I hate Adrian so much as well. Yeah, um, Chris, I I I love that Emma has they included with Emma with a, a brother that not only does she connect with more than any of other f- her family, but that he's also a, he has a, he's a different kind of troubled soul in the family in that he's the closet homosexual living in a family that, like we said with Mother Hazel, is just all about. The status quo, the public eye being on them and accepting them, you know, um, don't do things that'll make the stock market price plummet. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, and he's look- also the only sibling that lives not at the house, at yes. least at first. At first, at first, he's the only one who's been able to exert some independence, um, which probably with like the way Winston is and the way that he's just not a very accepting person in any way whatsoever, it probably is even more of a like a plank in his eye that his only son, his eldest son, is uh, not down to play the way his dad wants um, and then eventually finds out that he's gay as well. And so it's just um, it's like a failure that he doesn't want, but I probably expects because he expects all his kids to fail. Yeah. Yeah, that seemed to be that was the impression I got as well. And then the final family member is Cordelia, the youngest sister. Which I feel like what, we didn't get too much of her. Yeah. What's your read on her with the limited like issues we had with her? Uh, it's so hard. Like I get the idea that she's the edgy, doesn't care about society, um, or like her 
she doesn't want to be part of this lifestyle is what I gathered. Um, You know, obviously with like the darker hair and the makeup and the piercings and stuff like that. They're really going for that um, kind of rebellious. But still trying to get dad's attention through that. Which I think if I had to guess was like a manipulation tactic to try to, you know, get what she wants from him. So she's like playing game, playing ball in that situation. Yeah. Adrian's trying to get attention from dad by trying to be dad and Cordelia's trying to get attention from dad by being the opposite of dad by being the thorn in dad's side you know yes it's like bad attention is still attention yes so we uh so we've met the we meet the whole family and we meet Emma Emma is this quiet I, I, I want to say like kind of like almost like mediocre plain girl who was suffering in school badly, but, uh, you know, was incentivized by dad that if she got her grades up to something not so bad, like B's, she'd get rewarded. She lives in a family of nothing but, you know, exception and and uh, success. Um, she's got an older sister like Adrian, who, like you talked about, is, you know, the physical embodiment of I, I, an ideal woman in her eyes, but is also like doing did well in school mm-hmm. is getting called up to model in magazines is like is like set to be dad's like heir to the throne and so emma is just being left in the dust um she's also like like i said she still has some ethics and values in her doesn't really want to hasn't taken this like the way she's treated at home and taken it to school and treated the other kids terribly she actually just tries to you know be invisible to them um, but fails in that as well because like the, that girl, uh, uh, Matilda, yeah. um, is a total bully to her. Um, teenage girls are the worst. <laughs> Let me just say as someone who, uh, as a former teenage girl, well, a um, current one, we already talked about that. <laughs> oh yeah. Mentally. <laughs> um, it, I felt like that depiction of being bullied at that age was very realistic. Um, yeah. and painful to kind of relive because mm. teenage girls could be very cruel um and will just like pick apart you like everything about you and just rip you to shreds um just so they could feel better about themselves and obviously it's that's some... like the case with all bullying typically yeah. but man it's a, different it's a mental game that teenage girls will play yes it's it's like um it's more emotional and mental than yeah like maybe other types of bullying might be I mean, that's what I was going to say was that like, uh, I was, I, 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 I was not brought into this realization that this is how, you know, girls in a, in a girl group would bully each other. My only experience is being bullied by other boys and that kind of thing, which is a much more like physical direct kind of bullying. Um, and, but now as a father of, of, of two uh, girls, <laughs> of two girls, one of which is entering her teendom um soon um i'm realizing oh this is not abnormal for girls to be this way this is uh this is common that girls in like an all especially like in like an all-girls school because that's all they have is to bully each other um and to bully in their own tactics of how they feel best to do it 
Um, but I mean, she doesn't even get bullied only just, uh, mentally she gets taken bullied in the, the fencing class right. that the, that fencing teacher sucks. Can we talk about that? I, yeah. Well, I, the teachers at the school need a talking to, we need, <laughs> we need a better way to get some teachers at the school. Cause yeah. Yeah. The principal sucks. <laughs> the fencing teacher sucks. Ian's got issues. He thinks uh, she's sexy yeah. at one point, which, you know, again, this was the early 2000s. This was written. Um, I don't know if that changes things, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, the way I read Ian, the to Ian Kendall, who's the the only teacher who shows like positive uh, attention to Emma, and actually shows like real interest in her future in a in a in a you know a helpful way, um, is that you know like a like a typical you know m- you know hetero leaning male, um he might have these thoughts, you know, these thoughts of viewing someone like Emma in that way. Um, but the way I read it was that he would never act upon them and yeah. didn't, you know? Um, and there's a conversation there. Like, do your thoughts make you, or do your actions make you, or is it a mixture of both? And I'm not here to debate that one way or the other. Yeah. That's a, but that's I, a big old question. I like to think that because Ian never actually acted upon anything and was showing like just genuine interest in Emma. I like to think that he actually was trying to look out for the best for her. Um, no, I would agree for sure. You um, know, and, and I, I think even when, um, you know, she hears his thoughts and then takes action on it and he pushes back and stuff like yeah. that. It, it shows that he wouldn't act upon those feelings either. Yeah. Um, the, you know, he, he, he he may have had these these primal you know impulses in his brain you know you got you got the lizard brain you got the lizard brain in there <laughs> and maybe Emma was just tuning in on that you know we all have we I mean not that we all have those kinds of thoughts but you, we can all admit that like we have terrible thoughts <laughs> yeah uh, definitely uh, sometimes intrusive thoughts sometimes yeah yeah. Just, yeah it's again lizard brains all of us and that's that's part of Emma's story and what they were what they explore in this whole 18 issue series is that what must it be like for a young woman to experience the world being able to in some instances having to like being forced to but in all instances being able to hear the thoughts of everyone especially the men around her Um, that is such a blessing and a curse Mostly I feel curse. Like that would be terrible. I feel like that would just be horrible. Yeah. Um. I myself don't want to know what the men around me are thinking. Um, <laughs> I don't want to know I, what anyone is thinking. No, no, no. I want to unsubscribe from that immediately. But, you know, she's someone who's, you know, born into privilege and is living in high society. And then while she does, like, at the end of this, you know, leaves on her own. And if you open up, like, issue seven and merely picks up on Emma trying to, like, make make it on her own. Um it continues to explore where she's like, I'm not taking dad's money. I'm going to climb the ranks on my own. Um, and like I said, like she does this in a male led, you know, society in a male led industry, you know, these fortune 500 companies and these, these, these multimillionaire. It's funny later on in the series, they call out like a uh, Winston's like net worth. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, Barbara, you reading this, not thinking about 2003, Throw out a number of what you think, like something around what Winston's like wealth is. Like, where I, would you throw Winston? I actually was thinking about that while I was reading this comic because it's like, how like, rich is this man? I would guess they are billionaires. Yeah. 
Um, like a I, like at least a few billion. I would say like like five billion, five to okay. like five to ten is what I would guess. Um, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but it's just a number spoiler. They eventually look into Winston's like assets, and they call it out as being worth up to seventy five point five million dollars. Oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I th- he was given like crazy villain billionaire energy. Yeah, of like I have a house in every single country and uh, but it, eighty cars yeah. in my basement. He's still like a millionaire in the early two thousands. Um, true, true. And he's doing well and that kind of thing. And Emma, like that's her story is that she tries to climb the ranks and eventually does. Um, of like making her own fortune and all that kind of stuff. Um, but. Uh, anyways, uh, back to uh, the story that that uh, entails uh, the, the teachers being bad, um, the fencing teacher pitting these girls against each other. <laughs> right. um, you know, I, I we only like stop op- when we see blood. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, what is this woman? She's like, she's, she feels like she's straight out of like a Harry Potter story where it's like <laughs> no regard for these these kids' safety and just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the swords, get in there, deal with your problems on the fencing court field uh, do you ever do ba- any fencing in school no. Uh, no i didn't i feel like this teacher is just bored and it's yeah. like yeah let's make yeah, them yeah, fight yeah. let's make them fight to the death go stab each other yeah. i'm tired um so yeah emma she's mediocre but is tasked to be exceptional she uh they go and do this they they, they have this fencing fight between her and matilda she ends up like dropping because she's got like a bloody nose which is like the first like sign of her development of her mental abilities i think she had a headache before that right i think she developed like a migraine yeah 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 she's she's having these headaches um the 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 lore of x-men and mutants is that they're typically their powers manifest at puberty Um, Ah. and so that's why she's going through this right now um which wouldn't that be great shouldn't I feel like she's older than that, but maybe not because puberty typically happens between like 10 and 14 ish. Yeah. And I it's, thought, I assume she was like 16, 17. It's like, it's not, I don't think it necessarily has to be triggered by the act of puberty happening, but it happens around that time. And it's different gotcha. for every mutant. Some are born that way, like a, a night crawler who is, you know, blue and furry and has a tail. He was born that way. He was born like a blue little demon. Um, Love it. Yeah, and so then others, some some actually happens later. Like uh, the lore they created for Magneto in the comics was that he actually didn't get his mutant powers until he was an adult because when he was younger, I can't remember what disease he got, but he got like some sort of disease from like the Nazi internment camps and it stifled that part of his brain's development and so he didn't get it until like this instance where he got super angry and ended up killing some guys because they killed his wife. Um <sighs> And so, yeah, so she's going through this right now because she's she's going through that puberty age. Um, she wants to go to a dance, just wants to go to a dance um, and gets the bees that her dad said she had to get in other classes. But then he's like a total jerk and is like, no, I, you should have A's. Nothing's Which, ever good enough. By the way, bees very impressive. Okay. It's sometimes yeah. hard for us to get good grades in school. And I thought I thought she did great getting those bees. It's rough. It's rough when you got to... I had... My parents never were this bad. Never at all. But they definitely were the ones that, like... They were the kind of ones, like, rightfully so, were like, John, we know you can get A's. You just need to apply yourself. Because I was the instance of someone who was like, 
I just wasn't applying myself. I was, I, I wanted to play Mario Brothers and go play outside and that kind of thing. I didn't want to do schoolwork. <laughs> um, but uh, I get the feeling Emma's like really trying. She's, this girl's trying. Um, yeah. And, and it's so just funny. Like, what, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go for it. I, w- I was going to say it's funny, um, you know, when she does start to realize her powers more fully and is able to do the test and get a perfect score on it. Yeah. I just, in my mind, I was like, what teacher is sitting there just like thinking of all the answers <laughs> at, at the same rate as her doing the test? And I'm like, okay, well, there's other students, I guess, thinking of the right yeah, answers. Yeah. Um, I totally get that. I, th- I think it was that like, as she was like using the collective knowledge of the classroom, you know, almost like polling the brains yeah. in a sense. It's like, okay, 90% of these guys think it's 1776. I'm going to go with that. Yeah, it it Um, was a really funny moment when, uh, you know, obviously when she starts reading people's minds and is able to kind of control that a little bit better um, to get all the answers right. I was like, that is, wow. That's a a convenient way to do it. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Um, And that's actually, that's a big part of Emma's development as a character is that it, if it's, because like even at home, it's like even when she plays by the rules, she doesn't win whenever she you know tries to take the high road she's punished for it if she you know tries to any of that and so like why if you're in that instance why play by the rules what is what is the benefit if if you are just always going to have because like this is the first six issues she continues to experience this later on as like just more and more of like her trying to do it on her own trying to do it right trying to be you know uh, uh someone doing things for altruistic reasons but it's like playing by the rules doesn't benefit her um and frankly it shines a light on like no one else is playing by the rules adrian mm-hmm. wasn't playing by the rules when did adrian play by the rules and her father she, definitely doesn't play by the rules no he moves the goalpost. he pits his kids against each other he keeps tabs on you know what's going on at the school and like pulls the puppet strings of the school and everything like that um and it's like this hard harsh lesson that it's hard to argue against of like they like yeah like at a moral core we know we should abide by the rules and things should be fair and everyone should be playing with the same tools but like the reality is that's not the case and Mm -hmm. emma comes that realization eventually um because again she's she's living in a world where men like daddy winston are (laughs) (laughs) are never going to let her have her victory and it, uh, the, I, the irony, too, of um, him being so hard on her about her grades and performing well in school is that when she's asked to retake the test and doesn't do as well, it doesn't matter because he just pays off the school, essentially, to be like, just have her do well, whatever. Yeah. it's, like, it's why didn't it, you just do that in the first place? Well, I, I, <laughs> I, it could have been a little bit of that, but I, I think it was just a way of the author showing that, again, no one is playing by the rules where, like, I think the principal just did that on her own where she was like, what does it benefit me, the principal of this show Valley school for girls to uh, flunk the most, the highest donor of my school um, or, or out her as a cheater. It's like they sent Matilda home because her family couldn't pay anymore. They don't benefit the school anymore. So why protect her? But Emma's dad's still like funding the school so Very it's true. in the principal's best interest. So the principal, that's why I like, I, that's how I read that scene with her and Ian, where Ian was like, give me the test, show me the test. She's like, it's already in the shredder. I'm not showing anybody that. She passed as far as I'm concerned. Yep. 
um, because that's that's how you do it. You you're you're out. You're looking out for numero uno. Um, you're you're not trying to have a, the moral high ground. Um, and I'm sure that yeah. plays into her becoming the villain that she does, just having a complete disregard for the rules and just like trying to do whatever she wants. Yeah, I mean, a mixture of like seeing the results and at all times also hearing people's thoughts. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's really going to give you a jaded view on society. You know, she, you know, Im- imagine when she starts like, you know, listening in on like her because she does. She starts hearing like her dad's like real thoughts. And, you know, while she didn't have like probably a good view of him beforehand, you know, she witnesses him having an extramarital affair while they're on their vacation in mm-hmm. Nice. That's how you pronounce it. Yes. In France, N-I-C-E, yes. Nice. Um, I think it's nice. Yes. Yeah, I think it is the Riviera. Um, and she witnesses like the physical manifestation of that. And then also like, you know, is able to hear his thoughts and realize that he, uh, he really believes these things that he's doing and he, and, and doesn't actually like think of his kids first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, we're jumping a little bit ahead. We're jumping around Emma, you know, she, she, you know, we int- we're introducing the first issue as Emma's little wallflower, and then she gets her powers. And so, in issue two is when she, you know, is able to use them for cheating. She starts showing signs of like knowing these things, including like her brother's plans. And she's like, but she can't like she could tell her brother had plans to go and get dressed up, but not, but it wasn't enough for her to know that he was going to go meet a boy. Yeah. Um, which uh is funny. Um. And then she that that whole cheating issue issue happens. Um, we can jump to issue three where so she starts she keeps acing her tests. This is when Matilda gets kicked out of the school. Um, the bully gets their comeuppance, which is still sad. It still felt sad, well, especially after she was able to uh, read her mind and know what was going on. Deep down. Yeah, there's that trouble at home. A little tragic there. Yeah. You, you, they did that. I love when they do that because it really like it. It shows that every we're all multitudes. We're all we all have our own like we're all going through as many things as everyone else is. Mm-hmm. And while it doesn't excuse Matilda like just being a total jerk to Emma, um, you get where it's coming from. It's like it's coming from from problems at home, and she gets she like gets kicked out of this private school that probably meant the world to her. Mm-hmm. Hurt and people, knows? hurt people. Yeah, you know as they say. This is where, uh, you know, this is when Ian, um, the uh, the teacher, he suggests that uh, she tutors, um, kind of gives her the initial inspiration to be a teacher, um, which I, as a longtime Emma fan, I love that addition to her, like, backstory where the one person, the one, like, a, a you know, authority figure that was a positive influence on her life is the reason why she wants to be a teacher, why she wants to have students, why she wants to help facilitate the next generation. I think that's a, that's a cool origin for that feeling. Definitely. Good. Um, yeah. Cord, this is a, this is also the issue where, you know, Winston continues to fight with Cordelia on her like drug use. Um, doesn't care like that. Emma's doing well in school and getting all these straight A's. Um, and, this is where uh also where emma gets like a hint of uh, like of ian's attraction um i know we talked about how that like that's icky and everything like that um is it like what expound upon like how you read like the whole like ian and emma relationship thing 
Um, I definitely, before that happened, um, you know, I think there was some kind of insinuation that obviously she was attracted to him because I think she had mentioned it a few times. So, well, she starved for affection. Yeah. She starved for attention. Which I, I understand. And he's obviously, I think, portrayed as a very, like, good-looking, charismatic. Paternal um, figure. Exactly. And so there's obviously, like, a lot more deep feelings going on involved in there. Um, and I think, like, I didn't feel icky about it. I don't know if that's the right word. Mm. It was just more of, like, ooh, gosh, like, I hope this doesn't go there. <laughs> Like, I don't think it will. I don't, again, I haven't read comics, so I don't know if, if they would go there or not. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, again, as you mentioned before, are you your thoughts or are you your actions or are you a combination of both? And it's yeah, this very kind of, like, moral dilemma situation. I think that I like that idea that you're reading it and it's just kind of like, well, this could end very badly. Yeah. This yeah. this could end terribly. I hope it doesn't cuz I I think they wrote Ian well enough where you were just like I I I think this guy actually wants what's good for Emma, so He's can we He's a stand-up dude. Let's hopefully it doesn't end badly, but like as people who like we've met men. <laughs> yeah, no that's the thing. It's as a as a woman. Um, yeah. You've met men. I've met men, some fortunately, some unfortunately. Um <laughs> I've had interactions with uh, so it definitely is just like, oh gosh, this could this could get weird. Um, yeah, and but. and I think the author uh, knew that knew like uh, uh, Horn knew that like writing this in and making this character this way, you were going to be like, okay, this guy could be a total like skis ball and and make this turn bad um, because I just there's there's a safe assumption that these characters and also because like all the other characters in the story have been introduced as being like total uh punks except for like yeah. maybe christian um so already on the defense when ian gets introduced and starts exactly. like showing a little bit of that like uh mental attraction um but uh that this is also the 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 near the end of ian's story is in issue three where winston sets up this elaborate ploy to get what I think he initially was trying to get was just uh, a, an image, a picture, proof of Ian being alone with the student, you know, in maybe kind of an inappropriate way. But then he he kind of got more than he was planning for, mostly yeah. because Emma made a big whoopsie. Yeah, um, because, of course, she could read his mind. I do think it was interesting, though. I think what threw me off is him calling her in his mind sexy. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, if maybe they weren't trying to go that direction, he could have been like, oh, she is very beautiful or very pretty or, like, whatever you want to yeah. call it. I think that the, the sexy term kind of threw me off. I'm just like, oh, wait, what? Why? Would I he guess, really think that? Yeah, I, I guess you're totally right. I guess that does play into the thing, like, even even the nicest guys can have the wrong thoughts and yeah. can, and, can and have an a inappropriate uh, bone in their body. Um, which I guess is a, a lesson either the author was trying to teach the reader or just um, teach Emma and Emma was going to take that to heart. Yeah, um, that's very true. But uh, bad news for Ian. He gets fired. 
Um, and this is when Winston really starts showing his, his willingness to do anything to control the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and to kind of try to like hammer into his kids. You're not on my level. You, 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 you're not even, you think you're in the game with me. You're not even in the, on the field with me. Ah, he sucks. He just sucks <laughs> so much. <laughs> yeah. Cause like Emma's like, you can't do this. He's like, I'll make this worse. Like he's fired. I can make it worse. I've got a picture of him, uh, kissing, an underage student, um, mm-hmm. I could ruin his entire life, not just his career. Yeah, it's um, messed up. It's very messed up. Um, they even end the way, on that. Even the way they animate him is like infuriating. Like as oh, he's like talking, the way they draw Winston. Yeah, and like yeah, the the way that he's drawn with like his neck veins popping out when he's like yelling, and I'm just like, <laughs> he's just so like, ugh, yuck. <laughs> he's just he's the he's the picture of any rich old privileged man who thinks that he knows what's best yeah um, and worst he's frustrated that you don't recognize that the this authority that he has so rightfully earned mm-hmm. um despite the fact that with the themes of this story likely he did not earn this through moral and ethical means he probably did his own version of like you know uh utilizing whatever he could to reach his uh his his riches um, but uh, that was that. That's the halfway point in it, and then we get into issue four, where you talked about it. Christians living in the city, um, and this is when Emma, you know, does the whole kind of like, kind of like an unbreakable moment, and um, touches uh the arm of a boy coming out of a Christian's apartment, and gets a whole like flash uh of the gayness of her brother. Mm-hmm. A very um, that's so Raven moment. I must say. That's a, oh, that is so true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And she just like she gets plunged into like the the truth of of Christian. I appreciate that she doesn't immediately just go and out him. She like she waits. She's like she understands even at this young age you need to let somebody come out of the closet themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, despite the fact that she's like I'm sure like even at that moment like very hurt. Like Christian's like her closest you know family member, her only sibling that she likes really, and that probably does hurt to know that like he didn't feel like he could be that honest with her. Well, as adults, we know like there's a lot of reasons why Christian should not tell his little sister that he's gay living in the home they're in. Yeah. Um, but I, I appreciate that. She didn't fully out. And she even like later on in the issue, like tries to play surprised. Just like, you're gay. I, this is the first I've heard of it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Which must be so hard to do. Yeah. Um, but the family goes on their trip to Nice. Um, this is also when Emma starts giving nod or letting the reader know that there's a person that she can't read at all. Right. It's her which sister. Is, I was going to ask you about that because that is very intriguing. Yeah. They, they, they start touching on that. How, where, where did your brain go when you saw that? Immediately I went to, oh, she has the same type of powers as... Uh, as Emma and just yeah. has had them maybe for a bit longer and knows how to control them and like shield her thoughts from people. Mm. Um, that's where my mind went. I could be completely wrong. Again, don't know the lore uh, further on from the issues that I read. Well, I, I don't want to like spoil things uh, because one, I'd love the listeners of this show to read on and do it. And you, if you ever wanted to pick up, you know, a, a month of Marvel Unlimited again and read it. Um, but you, I will say you're not off. You're not, you're not far off. Okay. There's some 
there's some more details about that of like how that actually pans out but that is what they're alluding to is why why can't she read adrian um there's a reason and it is because of something like that i I imagine it was something to do with either she has some type of power some type of mutant power situation whether or not it's like the same thing as emma um not sure but yeah but it's it's different enough that they uh kind of unravel that as this story goes on past these six issues that is really interesting and it's interesting enough that's just which is why i don't want to fully spoil it off the record i'll be happy to spoil it for you barbara if you want to but for the show i'm going to keep it a little mystery okay okay i appreciate it previously on x-men happy pride y'all we started the month of june off with Iceman, the gayest of the original x-men and this episode is about clearly a queer icon emma frost the woman who set Iceman on his path of coming out of the closet so thank you emma um, our next episode is uh, sort of sidestepping into an alternate reality story about one of my bisexual heroes wolverine yes that's canon and yes that's why there's so much sexual tension between wolverine and deadpool uh, we'll be reading Old Man Logan, um, and I have welcomed back one of our first guests, Diction, to get down and dirty with this uh, alternate future. Um, it's a bit of a, a apocalyptic Western. Um, Old Man Logan was part of the inspiration for the film Logan as well. So I highly recommend you do your homework for this episode and uh, read the issues. I think it's only five issues. And maybe watch Logan. You know, do double prep. That'd be fun. Um, Before we get back to all the Frost drama, I want to always say, uh, be sure to say thank you to those on Patreon. This show is my passion project, and I love that there are even some of you who enjoy it so much you help contribute to pay for the bills it takes to make the show. So thank you to people like Dave Getratis, BWP, P108, Tom Held, and Heather Reisinger, whoever the hell that is. Um, you can uh, support the show at patreon.com slash class of X, and uh, I appreciate every single one of you that do so. And now, back to more Frost Talk with Barbara. So, this is also when Emma uh, gets an, another brush up against a, a guy in a crowd and like has that horrific oh, image. Oh, God. Graphic, just a a head on a platter, like uh, Hannibal style, with the skull open and the brains exposed. Yeah. Um, and like she tries to like uh to brush that off a little bit, like has a little bit of a stumbling, fainting spell out there. Mm-hmm. And this is when this old uh French woman, I I assume, um, like hands her a pa- a, a magazine and she finds the photo of Adrian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, little Miss Model over there. Yeah, I felt like this was a, this was kept a little bit of vague. But tell me if like this is what you felt like it was like the reason why this picture of Adrian on the magazine infuriated Winston so much was that I think I feel like they were trying to say that like Winston is so much in control of his kids' lives that them doing anything out of his purview comes across as like a as a as a no no that he doesn't want. Why why did you think Winston was so mad at seeing this magazine? I felt the same way. I think it's because he didn't know it was something she was doing and so he was upset about it. Although yeah. I couldn't I guess like based off the little information you have, I couldn't really tell what type of magazine it was. Yeah, cuz it I it it didn't seem like it was a nudie magazine. Which which is why I was confused at first cuz like why is he mad? Is doesn't he know she's like beautiful and modeling and doing all that stuff? Maybe it was something that, like, in editorial, they originally wanted it to be, like, she posed for some sort of French playboy. 
but maybe because mm. of the comics code, they were like, we need to just make this her being a model. We don't yeah. want to go on it, which doesn't make sense, I guess. And I'm thinking about it because like there's some pretty adult themes later on in this book, um, including uh, some stuff that uh, I guess I should have said at the top of the show. There's definitely some trigger warnings, some self-harm trigger warnings for this book. There's some uh, substance abuse trigger warnings. So if those are things that um, are not uh, your cup of tea, it shouldn't be anybody's cup of tea. That's no. a weird way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> if you are uh, not okay with those subject matters. Yeah. Be warned. Yes. Um, but who knows? I, I, I don't, I, but I read enough enough that like uh, it was just that she posed for a magazine was a model on, you know, showing off her, her physicality in a way that Winston was like, you need to be a, I don't know, like a serious businesswoman that runs everything by me. Um, and, but this is also where uh, Emma, you know, starts trying to approach Christian in a like a subtle way to kind of get him to be honest about his his queerness. But this is when Christian starts using what's clearly like substance abuse to cope as a coping mechanism, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is just also heartbreaking to see this closeted man, um, you know, trying to continue to live in his status quo and just using whatever substances are available to numb the pain. And I I feel like this happens a lot with people in situations or families where they feel too much control or too repressed in a way. Um, They kind of look to these escapes, uh, whether it be substance or, you know, something potentially worse. relationships. Yeah. Uh, And I feel like you're kind of seeing a classic case of that with the story of this person who just feels trapped and alone and hates his life, hates his family. Yeah. but wants to numb the pain however he can. Exactly. And and still be able to live within this family like he's trapped. Um, trapped in a family where the dad is not even uh, honest with his wife. And Emma catches him with um, his, uh, his uh, quote unquote business associate. <laughs> um, right. Which I, I, I think based on the interaction and after like she kind of finds out. I feel like this is not the first time this has happened with this couple. It can't be. It, it can't be. be. We again, we've met men. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we know men. We know Winston. Yeah, and this man's an old man, and this ain't the first time this man has done this. Um mm-hmm. but he's cheating on uh his wife with a, a a young woman, um, sneaking into a club with her, um, which Emma manages to sneak in to try to get more evidence, but is diverted from getting all the juicy details about her father's affair by witnessing that Christian is drugged by the same psychopath that she saw early in the crowd. And so this is when Emma chases them out of the club and uh, uses a, her first psychic attack um, yes. in the crowd. Did you catch on? Did you catch on that? Kind of. She's, she's in the crowd and it's when she's like all these panels, these panels of all these thoughts are like crowding in on her and she's like being overwhelmed by too many thoughts, brushing up against too many people. And so she kind of does this like psychic stop and everyone around her has like this, they're grabbing their heads, like they have a headache. And then when she gets out to the, uh, the alleyway, she uses another like similar attack to stop the, uh, the man from cutting out the brains of her brother. Um, so yeah, yes. baby's first mental attack. So yes. Which I you, was... Emma very terrified of something bad happening to her brother in that situation and i was glad she was able to stop it because yeah yikes uh it's too bad they christian didn't was... catch that guy <laughs> yeah it was, i was gonna make a joke that's good thing christian was all good and dandy after that 
Jeez. He's not. He's not. <laughs> I was like, did I miss something? <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's talk about how Adrian's terrible again and how she manages to uh, tape an audio recording <sighs> of Christian finally coming out to his sister and then shares it to her dad um, to, I guess, further cement that she's going to be the one who wins because that's what you should do in a family. Make just sure you're the, the one who worst. wins. Just the worst. It's just I so like, many bad people. <laughs> I like that in this scene where, you know, uh, Winston is upset that Christian is gay. He's upset that, like, Emma is uh, accusing him of, uh, you know, an extramarital affair that um, on the same level, he's also upset that Cordelia shows up with a belly ring. Like these are all things that upset him. <laughs> Very equal footing. These I'm like, choose things. your battles, Winston. Let her have yep. a belly ring. Man. You know, How you, could you, you expect got your caught. kids not to get all messed up if you're this kind of parent. I, I don't think he cares if he's messing up his kids. Yeah, um, sure. Or maybe even a more twisted way, I think he might think that he's actually helping them be better, you know, toughening them up. That's true. Um, and uh, this is also when Adrian gets caught posing on the magazine, and the full that issue ends with uh, their mom Hazel uh, happening upon the camera and getting the photos of Winston uh, revealed, um, which is the big cliffhanger at the end of that one. Uh, we then open an issue five where this is where, uh, you know, Christian tries to, they're done with their vacation and Christian's like, I'm out of here. And Winston's like, no, you're not. Um, you're gay and you're coming home. Um, and <laughs> you're th- done. Yeah. Christian tries to like, this is his first attempt at being defiant in the face of his father and like tries to leave. Um, but in a sadder note, this is also where, Emma tries to like confront her mom on this news of the affair and Hazel is just like it didn't happen yeah which is the the moment I was like this has happened before and she just doesn't want to rock the boat stir the pot whatever it is um she just wants to maintain this lifestyle I think more than anything and and maybe even just like being in denial of like this is you know like it's almost like oh boys will be boys this is what they do Mm -hmm. you know this is men, you know, we have to be with, we have to live with men, Emma, and this is what they do. And you don't even know if that's what he did. Um, it's not even clear, you know, you, the, the photos cropped and, you know, there's, there's photo manipulation tactics and all that kind of stuff. Um, men will be men, just get, go along with it. Cause like Hazel's likely lived in this upper society world with these terrible rich men for decades. And so she's, she's given into how bad this is and just goes, you know, at least I'm living in a rich home and I have my kids. Yeah. Um, but doesn't last long because Emma accidentally hospitalizes her mom by like incepting her with the psychic knowledge of that experience of seeing her dad, uh, having the affair. Mm -hmm. Um, and Emma just, you know, still not able to use her abilities correctly, which, I I think that's fun for this story to ex, you know explore because while we have examples of that in other characters like a rogue you know rogue who can't control her powers you know saps the life force and people if they touch her and that kind of thing it's not often uh it's not it's not really often previously explored like what must it be like for a psychic to be learning their powers to have you know uncontrolled uh, manipulation of the mental space um, and how messy that could be. Yeah, I um, think messy is the right word for it. 
just like learning things you don't want to learn, uh, revealing things you don't mean to reveal, all types of things uh, yeah. while you're figuring it out. Just, if you're like, like you, as an awkward teenager, we were talking about that, like you don't even know how to control your like new long limbs that you've <laughs> just gotten. You Let know? alone your thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Like, have you seen a, like a middle schooler walk? They, they, they look like a giraffe that baby that was just dropped out of their mother. Um, Which maybe they were, you know, <laughs> have you seen giraffes walk? They're already teenagers at that point. We're definitely not but, in the womb long enough. I think. No, we need to, we, we need to, we need to cook longer. Um, but like they're that awkward with their physical bodies. And so, yeah, like this young girl having like the ability to read minds, to, to throw thoughts into minds, to control things. Like she's going to just make big, big problems. And so, yeah, this is like one of the biggest whoopsies she has where she basically makes her mom almost comatose with this. Um, but the bad news keeps rolling in because, uh, (laughs) Christian is, uh, finds out he's fired from his job as at the frost company. Mm -hmm. Um, and is homeless. If not for the idea that Emma has where he should move in with his, with Dante, the boy that she met earlier. Yes. Um, and so what, before he moves into Dante, he does come home um, to see mom because mom does eventually come around. But I, when when Emma asked her mom, like, or I can't remember if it was Emma or Winston, someone asked her, like, what do you remember? And the mom said nothing. What was your read on that? Was she telling the truth or did you kind of have headcanon that, that was different from that? I think she absolutely remembered it and is choosing to pretend she doesn't um, yeah. because it's easier for her. It's, Again, it's a good opportunity. Oh, I've got, I've got amnesia. I don't, I don't recall what happened before. Yes. Let's anyways, let's go back anyways, to the house and yes. <laughs> business as usual. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely, I definitely think she remembers. Um, this is, there was also a quick page on this, in this issue where they, where I think, uh, Emma goes and tries to find Ian, um, but finds out he moved away, um, and isn't mm. around. And so she's lost that, like whatever connection she could have had with this, the only positive, like, uh, authority figure in her life, um, problematic, but, uh, still positive in certain ways. Um, and this is also, oh my God, I forgot. This is one of the worst things Winston does. Um, doesn't just like get Christian like evicted sends like the police like full SWAT kicking down Dante's door while they're having a nice little like they're cooking in the kitchen and and Christian's living with his boyfriend and living his gay life and it's just like then the police come in and like V for Vendetta style throw them all into jail Um, and then his dad gets Dante deported to Cuba. Just a uh, just a swell just a swell guy. <laughs> totally recognizing that, you know, these are humans. These these people have souls. They're not they're here for him to control and do whatever he wants with. No, totally <sighs> recognizing that. And now he's in uh the United States Congress, crazy enough. <laughs> he's going by a no, different name, can you guess? He's, <laughs> he's just uh he's 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 actually more so he's probably just like the super donors for like some super packed that is uh funding these people you know he'd be the one that's uh you know giving them rides on his private jet and uh paying for the senator's kids to go to a private school um definitely not illegal things no 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 no. perfectly working within the system that we have 
Um, so this is uh, also, you know, Adrian keeps showing not only like does she not is Emma not able to uh, read her, but we find out that Adrian's the one that that got the police raid happening because she knew where Christian was living, what he was doing, and tells Dad. And this is when they they start cluing in more that not only can Emma not read her, but Adrian knows things, which which kind of yes, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's another indication that I think she might have a similar ability. She has a similar ability, um, and but but continues to be just the worst as well because she's the one who tattled on Christian, um, and we can't even tell if like she's sincere about being feeling bad about that. Yeah, which. I think she does feel bad, but I think she's just so wrapped up in trying to be this type of person and to win the affection and essentially like win first place in the family. Yeah. Uh, that she's just like willing to do whatever. I feel like she might have felt she took it too far, but isn't willing to own up to that. Or well, she probably it. felt like she took it too far by the end of this comic because this is when uh, Emma does have a nightmare um, of a, of a, like a, withering away version of her brother uh, you know as a zombie kind of looking version of christian and wakes up and this is when she goes and at the end of the issues is when she finds christian in his room um seemingly hanging from the ceiling yes um how did you feel getting to the end of this issue i hated it <laughs> obviously um very very upsetting and tragic and sad um to but, see how that like, all played out it's one of those like those last few pages of an issue where you're like, you can't, you know, turn the page fast enough. Yeah. Like, What's going on? What's going to happen? <gasps> no, not Christian. Well, again, like it's hard for me to know where they're going to take these things. Like, is this person going to, to pass away from this? Or is it like a lot of, um, I guess like young adult type, uh, content where, Oh no, no, no. We got them down in time. They're in the hospital. They're recovering kind of like yeah. everything's, everything's okay. Um, well, so I immediately went to the next issue, of course. And this is something that I, I, I remember on the, uh, this episode, the episode that I had with Jeff, um, where I had to remind him, him, an old comic veteran, I had to remind him that like, um, while we're reading these comics, able to immediately read issue six, um, there was likely two weeks to even a month between the release of these issues for the reader and so it was that it was that you read the end of issue five, you know, maybe on the Wednesday you got it on new comic book Wednesday. And then you saw that last panel and you were like, it's kind of like, you know, the old school way of watching TV shows where the cliffhanger happens and you go, wait, wait, is Christian dead? Is Christian dead? What's happening? Um, and you got to so just wait. You got to wait. Torture yourself. And, um, and if you did, you know, you find out that they got to him in time. He was like stable in the hospital, but like immediately Winston is showing no remorse and, and, and Adrian not even really either um, to the point where like when Emma does show care for Christian and like wants to go and see him, like has his daughter forcibly removed from the hospital um, because he wants to control the situation so badly. Um, and this is where, Emma had talked earlier on about how she was starting to hate her father, but this was the issue where on panel, she finally says, I hate you for the first time, which I felt was a little cathartic. It's like, finally tell mm -hmm. that man. Yeah. I went me too, Emma. <laughs> me too. You, you took out a little pen and you wrote it on your iPad in the same <laughs> yeah, panel. Exactly. Me too. 
Um, Although I was reading these on my phone, which means I had to zoom in on every panel, <laughs> like an idiot. I do have an iPad. I could have read these on. I just <laughs> chose to make life way. difficult for myself. Um, the after uh, you know, this whole hospital debacle, and Christian is stable and gets sent home. Um, we do get a little bit of an insertion of the X Men finally in this, and Christian is seeing them on the TV as Emma comes in to visit him. Um. And this is also a scene where it highlights, I think, how difficult it must be to be a person with psychic abilities. Um, it's not all like uh, roses and being able to like know secrets and, 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 you know, be able to use it to your advantage. Like she's in a room with her brother who had just committed, you know, had an a, a attempted suicide and she's talking to him about it and she's hearing his like real thoughts about how he feels about it, how he like, genuinely believes he would have been better off and everyone would have been been better off without him. And I don't know how Emma doesn't exit that room with just a feeling of absolute hopelessness. Um, I'm the kind of person that like when I hear someone telling me like the tragedy of their life and everything like that, that's already enough for me to feel just terrible and, and drawn in. But like to have like psychic confirmation of how real it is must feel heartbreaking. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. no, go on. I, I was just going to say, yeah, it's like to, it's just so, such a sad moment. Um, I don't really have much to add. <laughs> you, you hit the nail on that. It was me, <laughs> I, me agreeing with you and trying to be more, uh, articulate of my feelings in that situation. But uh. it's such a, it's such a bummer moment of just like, of like, you really want like, after six issues, you're in the six issues. You're like, can this girl get a break? Can Emma get a win somewhere? Can this family get a win somewhere? And, you know, Christian is not only has he just tried to, you know, you know, uh, off himself, but he's also like, he's no better at this point. He's still sad. He's still like resigning himself to being stuck in his father's clutches to like, to speak from a queer perspective, He's looking at like, I'll never get to be my full queer self. I will get to be just this closeted uh, poster, you know, child for my family uh, for forever. And I will be stuck here for forever. And um, I can feel like that's where a lot of people get to that point where they're like, it's hopeless. Yeah. Um, and and of course, a lot of people, you know, put on a happy face or act a certain way outwardly, but are having those thoughts like he is internally. Um, yeah. And, just, and while... It gets worse for Christian, even in this story, and will get worse for him later on in no. other stories. Um, I will tell people just to like give them a little bit of a hope. It ends well for Christian in the end. Okay. Uh, okay. Christian Frost has a happy ending eventually. It doesn't happen for like mm, 16 years, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> if he's not on a beach in Nice with uh dante dante right that was dante yeah 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 uh, i will be very upset he's he's not on a beach with dante but he he does eventually get to live his best queer life I'll okay good good um and uh and it's good um but we're not there yet because um it you know you know christian's resigned himself to being stuck in this family um Emma's trying to like hold things together. You know, she's, she's like trying to help with this party that her dad's throwing. She's trying to like help with her mom. Who's seriously showing like fatigue and some weirdness. 
and it's mm. not really made clear like what's going on until like Adrian clues her in like, hey, go look at mom's uh, medicine cabinet. And that's when Emma goes in there and just sees like a pharmacy in her mom's bathroom, um, which I know is like a common trope for these uh these high society women like that feel trapped. Yep. Um, that's their escape, you know, some, some Percocet, some Oxycodone, something like that. Um, and the drugs don't end there. Painkillers. No, they don't. Um, Christian manages to get what seemed to be like something like heroin from, uh, his sister Cordelia who thanks Cordelia. That helped. Yeah, uh, you know, you know what they say—the the perfect remedy for uh, someone who recently tried to commit suicide is uh, drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've got depression, try black tar heroin. Please don't. <laughs> don't. It doesn't help. Go to therapy. Oh drink some water. Take a walk. Just a great um, family. Just a great, <laughs> great time. So the this this whole story culminates in them at this party. Um, the the picture is set of Christian is drugged out, uh, drunk, whatever it is. He's, he's, he's high at the party. Cordelia's continuing to just try to be rebellious. She's like shaved her head. And I know. Wearing... <laughs> I kind of like Cordelia in this, you know, like, other yeah, than, like she, gave, look. she gave Christian drugs. That's a no, no. Don't do that. Cordelia. But like, other than that, like Cordelia is just trying to be like this punk rebel who's yeah wearing like you know uh, loud fashions, and uh, I think that's fun. And Cordelia does have more to contribute to this story later on, but for now she's just kind of you know dan- beating her own drum at this point. Oh, for sure. Um, this is this is where Emma tries to reach out to Christian once again, and he just shuts her out. That's like she's being a buzzkill, and and you know just stop trying and. She goes to the one person she should totally trust to help with this whole situation. Right, Barbara? <laughs> she goes to her her <laughs> loving and devoted and helpful father and um, they finally have they finally have the father-daughter moment that she's been wanting this whole time. He he acknowledges her, he uh lifts her up, he in that kind of thing. This was like 100% succession. This scene what could be pulled straight out of succession. Yeah. Um even even where, in the limited episodes I've watched, it's definitely. Yeah. I'm like, are you Shiv? Is that what's going on here? Yes. <laughs> um, um, at what point did you believe anything that Winston was saying? Uh, <laughs> let's see. Um, <laughs> I would say never. <laughs> never a clock? <laughs> never a clock. The second he opened his little uh, drawn mouth on that page, <laughs> I went, you shut your pipe hole, Winston. Um, yeah, even like even even manages to like almost like lie mentally where he must have been toying with the idea of sending Christian to rehab, but then like immediately changes his mind and uh right like manages to first pick Emma to take over the family business and then ships Christian off to a mental hospital. Now I'm not a smart man, but I want to know what Winston how Winston thought that was going to play out. I don't think he really cares or ever, ever cares. I think he just does the things he wants to do and, and knows nobody could do anything about it. And so he just goes, this is easier for me. You know, that's right. Because like, I forget that, especially with like men like that comes this uh, feeling of of invincibility and, and like every, it's like confidence that things will work out because I did it. Yeah. Um, 
and I otherwise if, if anything else all fails I have money to throw at it yeah 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 because there's always that cushion um but it leads to the final moment where Emma does finally leave and set on her own which is a bit heroic and I, I like that for her mm-hmm. that she she had to like take that first step you know um and so just drama from cover to cover um Tell me how you felt about this story as a whole now that we've gone over it. Uh, I really enjoyed it and it just made me want to read all of it. Um, did you think I, it was going to be this like melodramatic? I didn't. I really thought it would just like jump into like the superhero kind of stuff you would expect yeah. from, from comic books to have. When and, like, does the spider drop down and, and bite her and give her her psychic <laughs> powers? Right. And I, I kind of like that. It's just this very real story. Of this girl who has all these, you know, family issues and her personal issues, issues with school, friends, bullying, all this stuff. Um, And she's kind of going through this other really extreme thing that she has to figure out and sort through. Um, And I just like I, I like stories like this. Obviously, as I mentioned before, I grew up watching a lot of like teen drama. Mm-hmm. So I just I like the melodramatic. It, it pleases me. I mean, I, I love it too. I think this is something that a lot of people don't realize about the X-Men comics and spe- like specifically is that it's very easy to get, uh, to kind of boil it down to like the flashy costumes, the bright colors, the big powers, um, the, the villains and the action set pieces. Cause frankly, even the, the movies really focus on that a lot and really don't spend a whole lot of time around the reality which is the x-men is a 60 year old soap opera it is <laughs> always been that way um which i had no ever, idea yeah it was because it, it, it originally wasn't that way when it was founded by the creators uh, stanley and jack kirby but then around 1975 when chris claremont uh, basically rebooted it is that he just wrote it who is the creator of emma frost he wrote in more drama more of these characters talking to each other and talking about real things and you know less of it being uh held up by just like oh yeah it's like what's the villain of the week what's the mystery to unveil it's like no there was like drama and and uh you know fights and arguments and love and heartbreak and and all that kind of stuff and uh, that's what X Men is. X Men's just like this this family that lives together and has their own little their own little tiffs and, and issues. Um, and then on top of that, they can shoot lasers out of their eyes and fly <laughs> and read each other's minds, which also real oddly happens in Gossip Girl too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I never watched that show, so I guess I'll have to I'll have to believe you on that. I guess no, I missed I'm out kidding. on something. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but wouldn't that be great? Yeah, um, that's what I'm hoping that that you know these new these upcoming iterations of like the adaptations of x-men into like more conventional media because i get it like i made this podcast because i love the comics but no one reads the comics but i want to talk about the comics so i'm like how can i force my (laughs) friends to read the comics how could i have a reason to do the comics yeah i need i need people to talk to me about this stuff um and so i love that but i know that it's still no matter how much i try to get my friends to read the comics like the way they're they're typically going to experience them is through the movies and the tv and that kind of thing i mean we even just got to experience a great example of how that can be done with the most recent uh addition to the spider-verse series with across the spider-verse um that is 
that those movies are going to be and will be the entry point of millions of people to not only like the Spider-Man story as a whole, but specifically characters like Miles Morales and even the new characters like, you know, Spider-Man, like Miguel O'Hara, you know, Spider-Man 2099 and, and Hobie. Hobie. And all the, these characters. I'm a Hobie stand. And, stan. and uh, everyone should be. Everyone should be. He's mm. a fantastic character. <laughs> um, I, I like, it's so great. Like they took like three years to figure out how to animate one character and it, it was executed masterfully. Yeah, it was perfect. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that with the next iteration of the X-Men in this kind of adaptation, they will retain that because they got it in certain moments in the movies. Like there's reasons why people loved like the shipping of like professor X and Magneto in like those X-Men first class movies, you know, uh, they, th- those heartfelt moments where you saw these two men connecting on something more of an emotional level, uh, more than just like trying to throw big boulders at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love those moments and they, and they, they had those throughout some of the, the films, but for the most part, like I get it. People like the flashiness of the, of their powers and them fighting each other is what really gets, you know, those box office seats filled. Um, but I want, I want this, like, this is like, this is six issues, that just centers around Emma Frost, not even like a founding member of the X-Men and not even a main member of the X-Men until the 2000s, but it's great. It's so good. And it gets better. It's still, it's like, it's so fun to see like in the next six issues, you see how she tries to make it on her own. She makes new friends out in the real world. She gets in different kind of trouble. Her family's involved in new ways. Um, and so I, I, I love this. This is so good. But I wanted to ask you a question, Barbara. Yeah. To play, I wanted you to play a game with me. Okay. And I think you might be good for this game because you have good opinions on this. And um, you also have uh, like uh, insight into different kinds of media that I'm not privy to. But I've been having my guests do a little bit of like some fan casting. Ooh, um, okay. Because I think that's kind of fun to do with these characters um, because we all secretly, you know, will read a book, whether it be comics or even just like... Um, what's the one? Court of Thorns and Roses. That the a one? Court of Thorns and Roses, a fantastic yeah. series. Your smut that you read. <laughs> That's smut, hey. right? Yeah, I mean it's it's like young adult smut, so it doesn't get too <laughs> okay. intense, but okay, definitely not for children. Gotcha. Um, but uh, you know, you read those, and often an image of someone's like you know an actor will come up in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you were to cast anybody in the X Men be it Emma Frost or anybody else that you love, um, who would you, who would you cast? If, if, if tomorrow oh. Kevin Feige said, Hey, you Barbara, you get to pick one of the actors. Where would you use that lottery ticket on? Oh man. Well, I mean, I have to say as an older Emma Frost, I would say Marco Robbie, of course. Uh, she's, she would be great. She'd be great. Um, I think maybe as a young Emma Frost, maybe like Dakota Fanning. Interesting. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of someone who's kind of like, a little more reserved, shy is good at playing that kind of like. Yeah, can play the awkward, lanky young person. If you had to pick a Winston, who would you pick? If they oh, were going to adapt Emma Frost, who would be, you know, uh, who's a ma- who's a mean dad? Who can play mean a mean dad? Dad, what's his name? The guy who played the Green Goblin. Why am I blanking? Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I think he could do. I think he could do a good Winston. Even though I, I love would... Willem Dafoe. Oh, he, the man can do anything. Yeah. Um, he already played a mean dad in Spider-Man. Exactly. Um, I think that's why my mind went to him. I, he's doing... Oh, man. That would break my heart if he was this, this 
mean, but he could totally pull it off. Crazy, rich, old man, controlling his family, not caring anything of what they're doing. That's fun. Willem Dafoe, mean dad. Mm-hmm. I like that. Who would, well, you ca- who would you cast? Do you have a different person in mind? I, so for Emma Frost, I have a hard time. I'm such a like, my brain is stuck in like the 90s. Um, yeah. And so all of my like casting is stuck there. Um, and so like, I think I said this in the Discord for this podcast where I was like, in a perfect world, if we had made these movies eh, like 15, 20 years ago, I would have cast, what's her face? Uh, Devil Wears Prada. Um, oh, Anne Hathaway? Meryl Streep. Sorry, Meryl oh, Streep. Oh. I would have cast, Meryl Streep is the White Queen. Meryl Streep is the white ah. queen. But now that, you, now that you bring it up, I was like, Anne Hathaway from Devil Wears Prada is kind of like Emma Frost pre Yeah, I actually could see that. Um, That's funny. Now and of I'm course, the, now I'm... Ryan Reynolds would be Ian. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be very, very good. And then uh, Christian Frost would be... Uh, who could be Christian Frost? Could we get, could we get Anthony from Queer, Queer Eye? Can we see if Anthony can act? Um, I think Anthony could be a good Christian Frost. I think I don't know if that boy can act though. Or like Christian Frost, I feel would, would be good. Like uh, what's his name? Chad Michael Murray. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know who you're talking about. Uh, he was like a like a Cinderella story. Was that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cinderella story with uh, Hilary Duff. That's fun. That's fun to do a little fan casting. I love fan casting. I'll, well, I'll keep thinking on that and maybe have better yeah, yeah, answers. Yeah. You let me know. Thank you for reading this. I I'm so glad that I got you, I, I I got my uh my my claws into you and got you to read some <laughs> Emma Frost. Um, does Does this mean I'm coming out of the claws? It. <laughs> like you know, you X-Men actually didn't the... do very many of those this entire podcast, I know. and I commend you for it. You waited <laughs> till the hour and a half mark. Um, I saved it for the end. Well, there's I, restraint. Uh, I appreciate you inviting me on the show and for like opening my world to this kind of uh, media as well because i had a great time reading it if if i can get enough of my friends to do this then at least like when i go on my weird x-men rants like at least you have some connective tissue to what i'm talking about mm-hmm. you know yeah. as opposed to just fully just blanking out your brain while i talk about you know the the morality of mr sinister's genetic uh, manipulation you can be like okay i remember him talking about emma frost we've we've i've read her i know who that is um i'm good so that's that's my that's my plan. Um, well, I appreciate it. Now, when I smile and nod when you talk about comics, <laughs> I'll actually be uh, maybe understanding more of what you're saying. Well, um, if uh, if you if you Barbara want to direct any of these people to uh, hear any more from you, if they enjoyed the dulcet tones of your voice, where would you direct them to? I would love to direct them to uh, the All Good No Worries channel on YouTube, um, as well as on social media. So uh, Instagram, TikTok all those fun places. Um, and of course, roosterteeth.com. We are uploading there as well. But we do um, a podcast that I host every week called Always Open, which is a show about mental health, uh, relationships, sex, and all that fun stuff, um, which I believe, depending on when this comes out, the episode with you, John, might be out as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. I forgot. We did one a, wh- a little yeah. while ago. I, th- I think that comes out um, for the day we're recording this. I think it comes out next week. So I think. Oh, yeah. Might... Then this will be just a writer. Uh, this will come out just, I think, right before that releases. Oh, perfect. Um, um, so, yeah, we do that show every week. And then there's some other fun stuff. It's a show. It's a sorry. It's a channel where we have a bunch of like wonderful female creators who are making really fun, great content. Um, it's a, a channel led by women with kind of women leaning feminine vibes to the shows, but it's for everybody. So come on yep. and hang out. Accessible to everybody. 
um, yeah, go check it out. And uh, thank you again, Barbara, for joining me. And uh, thank you, audience, for checking in. I hope you guys enjoyed some Emma Frost talk. Um, and I hope to see you guys next time. All right. Thank you. Bye.